You are going on a school visit to the Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art. What are some of the things you will see? I didn't know what to expect the first time. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Whenever we walked in the doors, I thought that this would be like better than the first time. The art, the sculptures, and meeting new people, and everything, more history. All the different kinds of paintings you have. You don't just have one sort of painting all the way through, and how you can start in colonial times and go all the way through till modern today art. I learned that all paintings have a certain meaning and it's much funner to look at them with many people. Those are students talking about their class trip to the Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art in Bentonville, Arkansas. Those visits were the basis of a research project that looked at the impact museum field trips had on students. And this is Artworks, the weekly podcast produced by the National Endowment for the Arts. I'm Josephine Reed. We know several things about students who are engaged with the arts. For example, they tend to be more creative, think more critically, and are more engaged with other people. But it becomes a little tricky to suss out whether this is causal, that is, the arts lead students toward these outcomes, or a matter of correlation, that is, students who are more creative, think more critically, etc., are the ones drawn to the arts. Enter J.P. Green, Daniel H. Bowen, and Brian Casita. They recently published a study out of the University of Arkansas which demonstrates a causality, that students accrue measurable, broader benefits due to guided visits to art museums. Or, in the title words of a New York Times article published about the findings, Art makes you smart. Here's researcher Brian Casita to explain. We we came to this conclusion through a large-scale research project that we did at the University of Arkansas with my colleagues Jay Green and Daniel Bowen, where we did a random assignment study of student visits to the Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art. And what we found was students had improved critical thinking when analyzing works of art. They exhibited greater tolerance, greater historical empathy. They recalled the information that they had seen on the, on the tour about the paintings and the themes of the paintings at really high rates. And they demonstrated an increased desire to return to cultural institutions. What we found were really positive um, results from, I think, is one of the most rigorous research designs of its kind to be conducted in the field. And as you said, it made it into the New York Times, and it was actually wildly popular. I think there's an audience out there that's really hungry for this type of information and maybe this type of scientific validation, right, that something that we believe to be true can be verified through science. Talk about how your study came into being. It was the Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art. That was the museum that this study was focused on. Right. And the museum contacted us. There was a person at the museum, the school programs coordinator, Ann Crable, contacted us at the Department of Education Reform because she had heard that we were good at measuring things and evaluating things, and she recognized that this was a one-of-a-kind opportunity. Explain why it is a one-of-a-kind opportunity. Right. So there's a few things that made it really special. For one, this is a museum that opened up brand new, and there's really nothing like it in the area. It's a It's a major addition to the world of art museums. It has an $800 million endowment and a world-class collection. And the nearest museum before Crystal Bridges opened was two to four hours driving away. 
And so most of the students in this area had never been exposed to that. And if you want to study something, if you can just imagine doing research on some sort of pharmaceutical drug, you would need a population that hadn't already been taking the drug. So what we had here was a population that hadn't really been exposed to this type of a cultural institution before. The second ingredient, which we found out after we met with the educators at the museum, was that they had an insane amount of demand for students to visit the museum. They have an endowment that allows for schools to visit the museum at no cost. So the tours are free, they reimburse them for the school buses, and they even provide a lunch. So in the first year alone, Crystal Bridges received applications for 38,000 students to visit the museum, which was far more than they could. 38,000. 38,000. And they could only handle about 5,000, you know, in their initial opening. So they had a problem. What are they going to do? Unfortunately, a lot of the times people have this problem, they'll solve it through first come, first serve, which isn't necessarily a fair way to do it. A more fair way to do it is to have a lottery. And we're particularly interested in any sort of lottery because that gives us the ability to do what's called the gold standard in evaluation research, a randomized control trial, because we're able to randomly assign which groups got to visit the museum in the first year and which groups had to wait until the second year. And because we're able to randomly assign them, then we're able to know that the difference in the two groups is that one got to visit the museum by chance and one didn't get to visit the museum by chance. Most research, most social science research, most existing research in the arts it's, it's a rare opportunity to be able to do this, so typically they're not able to run a randomized experiment. And so what they're always plagued by is the problem of causality. There's a lot of studies out there that are able to find that people who are involved in the arts are great in many ways. They're more tolerant and they are more creative and they usually have more healthy lifestyles. Lots of good benefits are correlated with the arts, but we really aren't ever sure if these things are caused by the arts because it could just be that more awesome people are attracted to the arts naturally. So what we're able to show with this study is that actually the arts do in fact have a causal relationship to creating human beings that have broader thinking skills and um, are more tolerant, uh, more empathetic. Well, when you framed your study. Were you looking for the specific traits that you noted a marked difference in, which was critical thinking, historical empathy, tolerance, and predisposition to visit museums again? Were you looking for right. that particularly? Uh, we were. Those, those things were guided by theory and previous research that has found correlational relationships from those types of experiences. And we met with the museum and we asked them to articulate their goals. What are your goals for bringing students here? Uh, what are you trying to accomplish? And then we set out to measure the things that they were trying to accomplish. The number one thing they said they were trying to accomplish was to create the type of people that wanted to visit art museums and to come back again. So we measured that in two different ways, actually. We had survey items where we asked the students, are you likely to visit a museum when you're a grown-up? And those results were statistically significant. They were positive. Students who visited the art museum are more likely to say that they want to go back. But we don't always want to just trust what people tell us. So we actually built in another measure. This is a behavioral measure. Everybody who was involved in the study, the treatment group and the control group, received a coupon to come back to the museum free of charge to see a special exhibit. And we actually coded the coupons so when they were turned back in, we could know if it was from a treatment group member or a control group member. And when those coupons came back, the treatment group was far more likely to have used their coupons than the control group. 
In other words, the group that had gone to the museum previously were more likely. Right. And you might actually expect the results to go the other way. You might think they were just here, they're sick of it, and these other students who never got to go might be more interested in. But that's not the way it came out. Actually, that initial visit seems to be a necessary ingredient to cultivate a taste for visiting cultural institutions. There's maybe an initial hurdle that has to be overcome. Why do you think that is? I think that it's not something that we're necessarily born with an ability to appreciate or desire. So you might liken it to other acquired tastes. So I think if we polled the children, you know, do you want to go to an amusement park? They sort of have a concept of what an amusement park is. They've seen commercials for it. It sounds like fun. It's accessible. Everybody wants to go. But when students are contemplating the idea of visiting an art museum, it's not necessarily something they know, especially in this area. And there's probably some some hesitancy. There may be some even class boundaries that they wonder if they're the kind of person that would be visiting an art museum. And I think a lot of it is probably just an unfamiliarity with it. Right. Do I know how to behave? Exactly. Yeah. It can be an intimidating thing, I think, to people who haven't been exposed to it. Well, let's look at some of the other findings that you had. And what I'd like you to do, if you don't mind, is first give us the way you're defining the term critical thinking and then how you demonstrated the field trip's impact on critical thinking. Right. So this was also something that the museum was very interested in because what they do with their tours is it's a progressive education model where the students really drive the discussion. And so they break up into small groups and they visit a a small number of paintings and they, they sit down and they discuss and they interpret and dissect what they think the painting means. And they borrow a little bit from the visual thinking strategies methodology where they ask very open-ended questions. So they ask, what do you think is going on in this painting? What do you see that makes you think that? So the students are asked to observe closely and then to provide evidence for their conclusions. Well, in the field, this type of museum experience had been previously evaluated at the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston. And in their evaluation, they spent a lot of time developing a seven-item rubric that allows them to measure critical thinking about a work of art. The seven items are observing, interpreting, evaluating, associating, problem-finding, comparing, and flexible thinking. They are very involved and detailed on what type of observation fits into these different categories. We had the students write an essay about a work of art that they had never seen. And then we had two coders blindly score the essays. So the coders didn't know if they were looking at a treatment essay or a control group essay. And then we tabulated the number of items that they had scored according to the rubric, and we run a statistical model where we compare the treatment groups and the control groups. And the the treatment group does significantly better on this measure. So if you want to understand the measure a little bit more, I can tell you that on average, the treatment group is more likely to make a higher number of observations, interpretations, and evaluations about the painting. They think more deeply about it. They notice more, and they draw more conclusions. They provide evidence to back up those conclusions. And this is one of those measures where we had an overall effect that's 9% of a standard deviation, which is a statistical way of understanding in in education policy and lots of social science, it's a way for us to put the results in perspective. And that would be considered a very modest effect. But for students in smaller towns, students at high poverty schools, minority students, and students who had visited the museum for the first time, we saw results that were two to three times bigger. And we think we have a good theory for why that is. It's because these students aren't exposed to these things. It's a new experience for them. And so their initial ability 
to look at a work of art and analyze it critically is really affected by this museum visit. Whereas the other students who've possibly been to the museum before, possibly taken more art classes, they were not as affected. And I think it really goes to show that if public policy is going to target where we're going to put our efforts into exposing more students to the arts, it really is in these disadvantaged populations where it's most needed and the most benefits can be seen. Did rural students and students who came from poverty, as well as uh, certain minority students, was there a marked difference in all the categories, or most particularly critical thinking? No, it was really consistent across all categories. Um, wow. the, the one category where I didn't see it was in the ability to recall themes and knowledge about the paintings. Those seem to be uncorrelated with these measures of disadvantaged status. But when we looked at tolerance and historical empathy, we also saw the same patterns where the rural students and the students in higher poverty schools, sometimes the minority students, definitely had larger benefits. Well, let's talk about historical empathy because that is an unlikely term for many of us. It's something that's considered a goal in the teaching of social studies and history. So it's not just about the retention of facts, but actually being able to put yourself in another time and place and understand what it might be like to live in that time and place. So having empathy with, with history, essentially. And Crystal Bridges is really well suited for this. It's an American art museum. And as you go through the collection, you really do go through American history from pre-colonial times up through the modern day. And you experience history through the eyes of the artist, and they depict you know, everything from westward expansion to World War II. So we had items on our survey to get at this, and so the items were things like we asked students to agree or disagree if they had a good understanding of how early Americans thought and felt, or if they could imagine what life was like for people if they lived 100 years ago. We don't really aren't concerned with this measure of, to find out if they can remember facts about history, but if they have sort of a sense and an understanding of how those historical people lived and what life was like for them. And this is one where we had fairly modest impacts for the full sample. The students in smaller towns and students who were visiting the museum for the first time saw the biggest impacts on this particular measure. And tolerance, how did you measure tolerance? That's a challenging one because you're dealing with children so the typical way that people have measured tolerance in political science and other social science methods can be kind of complicated. So we made it fairly simple for the kids. So we asked them to agree or disagree with statements like, people who disagree with my point of view bother me, or I appreciate hearing views different from my own, or I think people can have different opinions about the same thing. And I think Theoretically, the reason that we would think that this might be associated with visiting an art museum is, well, for one, the type of tour that they're involved in is all about hearing other people's opinions, all about the notion that there are multiple ways to look at something and you have to have some amount of respect for that in this environment that the museum educators were leading. Second, they're looking at works of art that are often very subversive and are often challenging their perspective of how the world might be. And that can have an effect on their tolerance levels too. That's sort of how the theory goes, is that education, as education rises and as exposure to a diversity of opinions rises, tolerance values go up. And that's what we found. And that's sort of how we think that that one works with the art museum. Now, did you find the impact of the museum visit consistent with students across all ages? 
Well, we, we actually surveyed students as young as kindergartners and as old as 12th grade. And the kindergarten first and second graders had a survey that was read aloud to them, and they circled pictures to indicate their level of agreement or disagreement. And we had strong effects for the kindergartners. I actually felt like if there was a pattern, the effects were strongest at the lower grades. I think maybe this is because the students are more malleable at that point where they're able to take in new information a little bit easier than the high schoolers. We also had a, a lot a lot more kids that came from elementary schools. They, they comprised the majority of the sample. How long did the field trip take? How long were they at the museum? And was it just once? It was just once. And the students were there for, I think, on average, about a half a day. So the actual guided tour experience is a guided tour for, I think, about an hour, an uh, hour of activity and lunch. And then if the school had time, they would stay at the museum for free time, free exploration until they had to get back to school. For some groups, I'm sure that that was longer than others. Uh, some of these groups traveled two to three hours by school bus to come to visit the museum. Uh, some only had to travel 10 minutes. So between a half a day and a full day. They also received some pre-materials that were sent out to the schools, a DVD that they watched in their classrooms to get them ready for how to behave in the museum and to expose them to some of the types of questions they would be encountering at the museum and some post-visit materials. So the full treatment is some pre- and post-curricular materials and about a half a day at the museum. Did they have a docent take them around or was their teacher their guide? I think that's a really important question because it was led by a full-time paid educator that was trained by Crystal Bridges. So I don't think that we can generalize our results to just any random visit to the museum. This was a guided tour with a particular perspective on how the tour should involve the students, how they should be interacting with the educators, with the goal of deeper understanding at the end of the tour. Is Crystal Bridges going to continue to offer free trips to the museum? They have an endowment to allow for the school tours to continue. It's a $10 million endowment that will cover the cost of the tours, the educators, and the school buses uh, from a generous donation from the Walker Family Foundation. I'm asking you to speculate here. What do you think is so special about the experience of physically going to the museum that has this impact where it wouldn't in a classroom, let's say, focusing on the paintings of James Whistler? I think that we talked about this, and we've referred to this as the, possibly this is the cathedral effect. So it matters that you go to a large building that's been constructed, you know, sort of as a symbolic way of asserting that this is something that's important. And here's the things that are important inside hanging on the wall with security people around them and really nice lighting and we're being quiet and we're taking our time and we're observing these things closely. I just don't think that can compare to a reproduction of a piece of work in a classroom. It's not going to carry the same amount of gravitas, I suppose, um, which is important. I think it's important for the experience. I think there's also probably something about a work of art being original. So, you know, the difference between going to a concert and listening to a CD, you can't really replicate that live experience. There's something special about it. And I think that's what art museums provide. Many parents, many educators, many art lovers are concerned that the kind of field trips that, in fact, you used as the basis of your study are becoming fewer and fewer. 
They are, and there's some evidence to support that. A couple of the major museums in New York have released data that shows a steep decline in field trips. I believe MoMA and the National History Museum there and the Field Museum in Chicago has seen a decline. And there's been a few surveys of school administrators and those types of groups that have found that they're less able to budget for field trips. And the story that we've heard over and over, we visited 123 schools to do this research project. We surveyed 11,000 students and of 500 teachers. So we we got a lot of feedback while we were out there. And it seems to be that schools are increasingly under pressure to maximize performance on standardized tests in core subjects, which essentially means math and reading. And so when a teacher wants to take her students to an art museum, those benefits aren't being measured by the state accountability system. So the school administrators aren't aren't incentivized to improve students on those measures. And um, that's really the story that we heard over and over as we visited these schools. Now, not to go too far afield, but I know that your PhD, which you're receiving this year, is in education reform. True. So can you just give us a little bit of history? When did this pullback begin? And when did teaching to the test really come into play? I think that we've been on that slide for a while now, but I don't really have data to support exactly when this began. I can say that we can look at some things. The NEA's own survey of public participation in the arts has noted a decline amongst exposure to the arts, they said suggested started in the mid-80s. The increased pressure on standardized testing really ramped up after the passage of No Child Left Behind in the early 2000s, and it's really only increased since then. Um, under Obama, we've had the Race to the Top competition where states have been asked or encouraged to build more longitudinal data systems. And it really comes down to this push for more data and the fact that the data are really only being collected, typically math, reading, sometimes science, that because schools aren't being measured in the arts or in the humanities, they aren't incentivized to focus on them. So I feel like the slide has probably been really accelerated over the last decade, but I don't have strong evidence to exactly pinpoint it. But close to a generation. I would think so. You know, as you said, there's such an emphasis on improving test scores in math and reading. Were you at all interested in seeing if there was any causality or even correlation between the trip to the museum and the kids' scores? I think that's a dangerous way to judge the value of art. This is a debate in the field, for sure, and there are a lot of studies that have looked at the effects of art on other core subjects like math and reading. I just don't think it's necessarily a strategy for making sure that our kids have access to the arts. There's not a good theoretical reason that I know of why there should be that much of a spillover effect, and it may not even be the best way to improve math or reading achievement. And I I know another thing that we hear a lot about now is arts integration. That's a popular thing in in school curricula, especially among advocates of the arts. And that concerns me as well. I think that we might want to hold on to the fact that we think that art is important for its own sake. And it should not have to show benefits in other subjects to be something that we want or something that we consider valid. You know, as we as a country move away from arts in the schools, you know, I'm very mindful that I interview, I'm very fortunate, I interview a lot of NEA jazz masters, people who have been given a lifelong achievement award for their work in jazz. 
almost to a person, they talk about the music classes they had as students in public schools. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that parents want this. My hunch is that there's possibly a disconnect from what schools are focusing on right now and what parents want for their children. You know, maybe this is a blip in the evolution of schools where we've landed on these accountability measures on math and reading, and that's where everybody's focusing their energy on as far as policymakers and school administrators. But I don't necessarily think in the long term that that's what most people want their child's education to be composed of. Did any of your findings surprise you? Was there anything unexpected? I was surprised that things came out as good as they did. The norm in social science research, especially education research, and especially really tough research designs like randomized control trials, the norm is to find nothing. It's really hard to move people and be able to measure whether or not they've had a change in values. It's, it's a difficult process. So if you look at traditional educational research, the journals are full of studies that find nothing. So actually, I think what we were really amazed by is, even though I think these effects are really modest, the intervention itself was modest. So we were really, I think, really just surprised that it had this much of an impact on these students. Where would you like to see the research go next? What's the next question you want asked and answered? I think that the research community should look into answering the effects of art education inside schools. We still don't really know enough about that, and that's an area where we should definitely do more research. What about not just a single visit to an art museum, but long-term exposure? A lot of museums have partnerships with schools where they do more sustained exposure to the museum. Sometimes the museum visits the schools, and it goes on for longer periods of time. Performance art centers do this. History museums do this. So I think those two things especially learning art in the schools and partnerships and long-term effects are the two things that we're most interested in looking at for the future. Well, Brian Casita, you certainly have given us much to think about, and I thank you for that. Thank you. Where can people read more about your study? Right. Well, we've got a couple of publications out there. Um, you mentioned the New York Times article, Art Makes You Smart. That's a very brief overview of the study. A deeper version you can find at the website for the journal Education Next. And the title of that article is The Educational Value of Field Trips. And we also have an article that just came out about the critical thinking skills in educational researcher. So people can look for those on the web. Terrific. Brian, thank you so much. Thank you for giving me your time. Thank you, Joe. That was researcher Brian Casita. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. Many thanks to the Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art in Bentonville, Arkansas. The Artworks podcast is posted each Thursday at arts.gov. You can subscribe to Artworks at iTunes U. Just click on the iTunes link on our podcast page. To find out how art works in communities across the country, keep checking the Artworks blog or follow us at NEA Arts on Twitter. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening.